We need to keep in mind that we need to extend the opportunities to talented entrepreneurs that want to start their company but lack access to and connectivity to capital. So we know the numbers are are pretty bleak when it comes to funding women and underrepresented founders. And so I'm very focused on that problem and bringing more balance to the ecosystem. Welcome to How Women Inspire, where women lead, invest, and give. I'm your host, Julie Castro-Abrams, founder and CEO of How Women Lead and managing partner of the venture firm How Women Invest, feminist, social justice warrior, mother, friend of 50,000 plus badass women, and an expert at helping top executive women get on boards and break down barriers for women entrepreneurs, investors, and social impact activists. In this podcast, we interview women influencers and leaders from across the globe who are in the C-suite, founding companies, investing, and agents of change. We'll share stories of how women lead, We'll provide insights and data, tips you can put into action, and get to know the women who have fiercely and unabashedly stepped into their power in leadership and open doors for other women like you. We discuss topics ranging from the journey of getting a board seat, how we can counter cultural frameworks that change the way the world views women leaders, what we're doing to close the gender funding gap and driving equity for women in all aspects of life and career. My goal is that after every episode, you walk away feeling inspired, unstoppable, ready to level up and step into your power and influence. I want to break down the cultural narratives that hold us back collectively and those messy messages you heard that are taking up way too much of your brain space. I want you to know you're invited in because I know that together we can change the culture, change opportunities, and create the future we want for our daughters and sisters and friends. This is our time. Are you in? Welcome to How Women Inspire. Today's guest has over 20 years of experience in finance and a serious record of investing across industries, including climate tech, fintech, health tech, and consumer companies. She is the founding partner at 2045 Ventures, which is a pre-seed and seed stage venture capital firm based in Los Angeles, California. And I can't wait for you to hear what 2045 is all about. She's also a partner at Mila Capital, which is an early stage venture capital firm specializing in deep tech. She's an adjunct professor teaching venture capital at USC. Prior to venture capital, she was a vice president at Dimensional Fund Advisors, where she scaled investment operations going from $75 billion to $300 billion of assets under management. This trailblazer has an MBA from Berkeley Haas, an MA in sports management from USF, and a BA in economics from USC. Her credentials are spectacular. She enjoys breaking away by getting outdoors, and she is a venture partner for How Women Invest Fund to Seed Fund. Welcome, Carmen Palafox. I'm so honored to spend time with you today. Likewise, Julie. Excited to be here. 
So Carmen, when you have a moment of celebration or a moment of challenge, do you have any (laughs) song that gives you like a lift? The first song that popped into my mind, I used to be a a marathon runner. My first marathon was the London Marathon. And, And to get through that last stretch, the song I would go to is by Eminem, Lose Yourself. So, you know, that's the first song that popped to mind, but there's definitely others that pick me up and get me going. You know, I have to tell you, when I think about you, like you're such a Renaissance woman, and I think about like, you know, you go from having an economics degree to a master's in sports management, and then and now you're like goddess in all things venture investing. You're on the board of the National Venture Capital Association. I mean, you really are, and you're a professor. You're amazing. What? Why? What? Is, what? What did your mom do? Like, what is it? Is it you're fueled by a passion? What? What happened that got you to this point where you're such a beautiful combination of things? Yeah, you know, I think through my career, I've always been looking for the intersection of passion and what I'm good at. And Mm -hmm. so that has led me to different things, including getting a master's in sports management when I thought I wanted to transition into running race marathons. You know, I really liked the combination of philanthropy, goal setting, and raising capital. So I think for me, It's always about how can I align my work and what I'm good at with what I'm interested in and have the most and greatest impact. And you've had such huge impact in so many ways, Carmen. And you started with more traditional finance, but you moved into venture and you've now got a serious venture track record. How did that come about that you decided venture was the place to focus? Because you're you're like a serious national leader in this space. I was fortunate to start my career at Dimensional Fund Advisors focused on public markets. And so I got to see the other end of the spectrum at a very young age and recognize the importance of the capital markets. And after time, slowly started to understand that companies weren't going public as fast as they used to, and that a lot of the opportunity was happening in the private markets. And, you know, that is one of the reasons why I decided to focus on entrepreneurship and venture capital while I was studying at Berkeley Haas for my MBA. So how is it that, okay, everybody knows the Bay Area for venture capital, but you're in LA, but you know, you, you were at Berkeley. Why'd you go to LA? And, and most of us don't really think about it as having a technology ecosystem. We just think beaches <laughs> and, and uh, Hollywood, you know, <laughs> I mean, that's right. That's right. Um, beaches and, and Hollywood and entertainment. And that's a big part of our DNA here. Storytelling for sure. But The venture ecosystem here has definitely evolved, at least since I got into venture. We're now the third largest tech ecosystem in the nation. And what's what's after Silicon Valley got to be first? Right. That's right. That's exactly right. The Area is first and then New York is second. And then we often tie for third place. So... LA is a serious contender in that space. We've had significant exits and with that have been able to create the virtual cycle of new entrepreneurs coming through and getting funded. There are now several 
billion dollar funds here. So it used to be back in the day that there, Southern California was well known for very early stage smaller funds focused mm-hmm. on pre-seed and seed. But that story is, is shifting now. We have bigger funds that can carry companies through their growth stage. So what does 2045 mean? What's the point of 2045 Ventures as the title? You know, just going back to my days at Dimensional Fund Advisors, we'd always have these target date funds where we're focused on the future and allocating capital towards that future. And so 2045 is the year there won't be a racial majority in the United States. That's already true across many states in our country. In fact, in Los Angeles, 70% of the population are people of color. But yet there's a massive imbalance in the amount of capital that is going to underrepresented founders. And I see that as a, a massive opportunity to bring economic empowerment to these group of founders and to society in general. So if 70% of the population is non-white, there's got to be services and products and different things that those people specifically serves their needs, right? So by 2045, what happens? What are you going to, you know, that's, uh, we need to get fix this problem before we hit that deadline? Yeah, ideally, we, you know, we, we invest with intentionality. And with that in mind, similar to the way we think about hitting our climate targets, you know, we should be very aware of our social demographics and prosperity amongst some of our fastest growing demographics in the United States. Okay, so in what ways for any of us who are are listening and trying to piece together, what are the implications of the changing demographics in general for trends for, you know, consumer preferences and behavior? What do we need to keep in mind? We need to keep in mind that we need to extend the opportunities to talented entrepreneurs that want to start their company but lack access to and connectivity to capital. So we know the numbers are are pretty bleak when it comes to funding women and underrepresented founders. And so I'm very focused on that problem. And bringing more balance to the ecosystem. Yeah. Well, and it's it's not just about who becomes wealthy necessarily, although, of course, that's huge, but like job creation, right? And what kind of solutions we're seeing. You know, if we don't make sure that we have a, an environment where everybody can work, we're going to be in trouble. I mean, our country is getting younger and younger people are not white people in the United States anymore, right? Right. So when I think about investing with people, new Americans, even I think about immigrants myself and the huge value that an immigrant coming to this country has, right? They're going to be courageous and have grit, all those things that you hear about that makes a great entrepreneur. Have you seen that in practice? Is that something that is part of your thesis? Absolutely. You know, I, I started learning more about the entrepreneur's journey within the tech ecosystem through the NBCA. And that's how I really got involved. There are several other countries that have a startup visa for immigrant founders, where if a founder is starting a tech company and has raised capital, they can get a visa to continue to build 
that company in the country. And countries like Canada, Chile, all have this idea and the concept of a startup visa. But in this country, we don't have that. And when you think about the companies that have been kind of established by immigrant founders, it's a surprising number. And so we have owe a lot of our innovation to immigrant founders in this country. Yeah, so. people who are seeing things differently, who are trying to solve the problems we haven't yet even recognized that there are real issues. Who's your favorite founder that you've, I know you, it, it's like, <laughs> who's your favorite child, but what are you seeing? Your favorite project? Yeah, I mean, I have just a majority of the <laughs> portfolio are led by women and are led by immigrant founders you know, just a few of the companies that I've invested in that are led by immigrant founders include Kaban Systems, which is led by Alexandra Castillo-Rash, and, and she's building a energy storage system that uses renewables to decarbonize the telecom industry. We invested it through Mila at seed stage, and they're now at Series B. So many examples along those lines, but that is one from my prior portfolio, one from 2045 Ventures is Suma Wealth, which is founded by Beatriz Acevedo, who is an immigrant from Mexico and also a serial founder. Her first company was acquired. And so she since launched Suma Wealth with two other co-founders in her team. So to me, like, I'm just hearing about these entrepreneurs that are solving social issues we all care about. Like that's, to me, that's values-based invest. They're doing stuff that we all want to see in the world. Is that something you see as a thread or a trend? I think and when investing and selecting investment managers, understanding what motivates and excites them is important, right? So I've limited a number of investments I can make. And so I definitely prioritize those that I get excited about that I think have the most impact, which goes back to why I shifted my career in this direction. It's because I believe that with my agency and being able to call the shots that I can invest in companies that I think do have a social or environmental impact. So you are investing today at 2045, a lot in like the pre-seed and seed investing. That's not easy to do, right? Like what, you can't look at a track record necessarily. So what criteria are you using when you look at evaluating the opportunities? That's right. And at pre-seed, often the companies are very early in revenue. They might be pre-revenue or pre-product. And I was very fortunate to start my career in venture at pre-seed as part of an accelerator. So investing in companies at day zero when literally there were two, three people. And so I'm comfortable at that stage. In terms of what I'm looking for, it's, it's really based on the team and the competitive advantage that that team has, whether it's domain expertise or certain connectivity to clients. I'm also looking for big market opportunity. You know, we know that in venture, the big wins are, are those that are, are scalable. So I'm looking for companies that can scale and also companies that have some sort of defensibility because at the pre-seed stage, it's often going to take companies six months to a year to 
get serious traction. And so if they don't have a competitive moat or competitive advantage, they're going to quickly see and lose market share. Yeah, there's certainly a decent amount of risk, but you've seen so many deals, right? Is there any lesson that you've learned that you might want to say? It could be hard learned lesson or it's like, (laughs) yeah, I've known this all along, but what are the kind of lessons that you feel like you've learned? I've learned a lot about founders motivation and why, you know, just really understanding what is motivating the founder to go on this journey, which is incredibly difficult and challenging and understanding at least as best I can, whether or not they're going to stick with the company and learning more about what their vision is in the current state and then down the road, three to five years. So you make sure that you understand the founder's motivation. You really make sure there's a competitive moat. But you also, as we just talked about, you made quite a few like climate tech investments, right? What would you say are the key innovation investment areas that you're most excited about as it relates to the climate tech sector? What's really going to make a difference right now? As you and I are talking, it feels like the world is on fire or flooded everywhere. So what are you finding most promising? My past experience in climate tech really centers around energy. Mm-hmm. And so the companies I've invested in that area include Amped Innovation, which is focused on creating productive use appliances. So think a refrigerator powered by solar, a TV powered by solar uh, that's ruggedized for extreme conditions like Africa. Kaban Systems, which I mentioned, decarbonizing tech, Form Energy, which is focused on multi-day storage. So I think uh, all that to say, I think the big opportunity within climate tech is really as it relates to that energy transition. And so that's a top priority for our nation. And there's a lot of non-dilutive capital that's going to push those initiatives forward. So I continue to believe that there's opportunity in that area. I also think that our oceans are pretty untapped in terms of innovation going to that space. So I think that's an opportunity too. What do they say? Right off the coast of Florida, it's 110 degrees in the water right now or 102, like something really significant. You know, we're going to have to figure out, maybe there's some way to pull some of the heat out of the ocean. I don't know. So you and I both invested in a company called C-Zero. That's a climate technology solution. What is the biggest challenge for somebody like Kat, who's running C-Zero? So Kat Turner is an incredibly talented backend engineer. And she is both the CTO and CEO and, you know, takes out the trash. And she's very early stage, very motivated. And when it comes to climate, that speaks to her background. She has a a master's in science in oceanography. And so is very dedicated to ensuring that as she builds this business, she's doing it in a way that can help smaller emerging brands become net zero, right, in their supply chain. And so she has a big vision for that, but she has to build in chapters. So for her, it's it's getting through chapter one, chapter two, and ultimately to that long-term vision. And that goes back to really understanding what a founder's motivation is, what drives them, and how they see the future, how they see year one, how they see year five, and how they see year 10. 
So we've talked about these founders so much, but your resume is amazing. What is your relationship with those founders? Like, how do you interact with them? And do you do more than just bring them cash, you know, for the investment? I try to understand what their biggest challenges are. I want to strike a balance between being two in the weeds and being of service. So for me, it's understanding how they communicate best. With a lot of my founders, I have text threads or I'm on WhatsApp and I'm, I'm communicating with them on a, on a bi-weekly or weekly basis. With some founders, their preference is to have checking calls once a month or more frequently, if that. And I'm always asking what's top of mind for them and seeing how I can help or how my extended network can help. So you are on the board of the National Association. You teach at the University of Southern California. We all wish we could spend a lot of time with you, Carmen. Can you give us advice? We want to learn from you. You're so brilliant. What is the message that you want to share with the world or with us as an audience? What do we need to know? I have spent my career in finance and I think that what I would like to share with the world and my hope is that more people will develop a better understanding of the capital markets and how they work. They're so critical to our economy. They, it drives our economy. And so I know it can be intimidating because there's so much information out there. But I think there's organizations and groups that make it accessible and make it understandable. I think the work you're doing on the new table is a great initiative. So it's welcoming people in, inviting them to learn more about venture capital, investing, and get their feet wet. So I think that's really important and one piece that I would like to leave with the audience. Excellent. Carmen, thank you so much for all that you're doing to bring innovation and to support underrepresented founders. You are such an important gem for our country and we're so lucky to have you have you leading. Thanks for partnering with me too. It's well, an we- honor, Julia. It's 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 an honor and I admire your ambition and strive to be like you in that way. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right back at you. So how can people find you if they want to get to know you, invite you to do something else or invest in your fund? I'm at C at 2045VC.com. All right. Thank you so much, Carmen. And everybody, you heard it here, pushing the envelope and thinking about the future. What's your 2045? What is your future goal? What are you trying to do to make the world the world that you want to see? Thank you so much, Carmen, for being with us today. Thank you. And with that, I want to thank you all for listening to today's episode of How Women Inspire. And because your inspiration should not stop when this podcast ends, head over to our website, howwomenlead.com. Follow us on LinkedIn at How Women Lead and subscribe or follow on your favorite podcast app to find out how you can proactively take charge and step into your power through our workshops and activism in our loving network. We want to propel you. See you next time, ladies. And remember to be unabashedly visible.